soon developed a reputation as hard-working, honest young crew members who stuck up for each other and for those who needed a champion. Yeah, I could. Hjalmar waved at the jovial young man carrying a sledgehammer over his shoulder and then went back to his coal scoop. He thinned the metal even more at the open end and bent it up first on one side, then on the other. Thrusting the foreign piece into the water bucket, he watched it sizzle and steam. Just as he pulled it out, the steam whistle echoed across the flatland, announcing the end of the workday and the time for chow. Hilmer's empty stomach rumbled in response. He banged the coals in the forge and shed his apron, making sure his heavy leather gloves were tied to the apron strings. Then he folded the equipment in half and stuck it in his wooden chest. If things weren't properly stowed, they had a habit of disappearing. He rotated shoulders nearly axe-handle width, and rolled his grimy white sleeves over his arms, corded with well-formed muscles. Arnie, his bellows boy, finished dropping all the tools into their proper slots around the forge bed, and the two leapt to the ground. See you tomorrow, Mr. Bjorkland. The boy sent Hjalmar a grin, showing one front tooth missing. The way the boy talked, Hjalmar had an idea the gap was compliments of the father the boy had left behind in Minnesota. Away from the sweltering heat of the forge, the cold wind knifed through Hilmer's black wool coat. He wished he had one of sheepskin like some of the other workers. The leather outside and the wool turned in made for better wind protection, and with nothing between the camp and the northerners howling across the prairie, he knew he would soon need added protection. He pulled a black wool watch cap farther down over hair that had deepened over time from toe-colored to the amber of honey left late in a bee tree. Thoughts of the snug soddy he'd so reviled last spring when he arrived from Norway made him shake his head. So much he had learned in the last six months. Those at home in Nordland would never believe half of it if he told them. That thought prompted a twang of guilt for not writing his mother. And that one reminded him of an even worse sin. He hadn't written a second letter to Penny. Asking her to wait for him had taken all the gumption he possessed, and now he'd let her down again. Visions of her sparkling blue eyes and curls that captured the sun made him sigh. He fingered her letter he kept in his pocket, so worn of the folds that he cradled the paper in his hands to read it again lest it fall totally apart. One letter. She had promised to write every week, and while he hadn't traveled that far, he did say he would answer, that he would keep in touch. He would come back for her, and they would build a building by the school to house their home and their store— with his own blacksmith shop set right next door. He wondered if they had built the school yet. And who was the father of Mary Ruth Strand's baby? One thing he knew for certain. It weren't him. Accusations by her or no. He knew what it took to make a baby, and he had never gone that far. Not with her or any woman. You look like you lost your last friend, Leif clapped him on the shoulder. And I know you didn't, because I'm right here. As short and stocky as Hjalmar was tall and broad of shoulder, Leif laughed at his own joke. Life, according to the Gospel of Leif, was one long, continuous joke, the kind that if a man didn't laugh he might never quit crying. When he threw back his head and laughed, summer mink curls bounced on his forehead, the combination attracting broad smiles from anyone present, especially those of the women, young and old alike. Yeah, you are. Hjalmar broke into a jog to outrun his biting thoughts. If we don't hurry, the food will all be gone. They dodged in and out of the line of men plodding toward the cook car. 
Kerosene lanterns hung from the boxcars to light their way. Just as they stepped inside, a peal of thunder shook the sky and the clouds let loose a deluge as if they'd just turned a heavenly bucket upside down to drench those foolish enough to have dawdled. Just in time, Hilmer said, whipping the hat from his head and stuffing it into his coat pocket. Rosy lantern light softened the bare tables lined with benches and the life-hardened crew taking their places. With the workday finished, laughter bounced from the smoke-gray wooden walls to meld with voices loud enough to be heard above the noise. It was nearly impossible for anyone to carry on a conversation lest they be side by side. Young boys toted steaming bowls of vegetables and platters of meat from the cook car to the front of the dining car, if it could be given such a dignified name. Most called it the cook shack. Serving only two meals a day, the cooks fixed enough food to feed twice as many men as the crew, and the food always disappeared before the late arrivals got enough. The two were-